Welcome, everyone, to the Our Strange Skies podcast. I am your host, Rob Christofferson, and I'm joined today by Adam Gorightly. And Adam has written a number of books, including Happy Trails to High Weirdness, The Prankster, and The Conspiracy. And one of the best books about uh, the disinformation age in the UFO community, and that is Saucer Spooks and Kooks, the book that we're talking about today. So, uh, Adam, welcome to the podcast, man. Hey, thanks for having me, Rob. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. So, uh, first things first, like there have been a number of books written about um, the Dulce base uh, conspiracy, the the Benowitz affair, and stuff. So, I'm curious, what caused you to dip your toes into this and write a book uh, about this particular subject? Yeah, as I kind of explain uh, in the book. Uh, my interests i mean i you know i was aware of dulce uh stories over the years uh but uh my interest really got focused uh, i don't know around 2007 2008 when i met Tao Levesque started communicating with him and there's <laughs> quite a bit of a story how i we i got in touch with him and we started a uh you know, we had a couple meetings and a lot of correspondence over the years. And Tal claimed that he was a key player in the Dulce base story, promoting it uh, back in the day in the late 80s. And, uh, you know, he stressed that to me a number of times that he was the key one that really got that story rolling. And the more I looked into it, I found that, uh, you know, that was... Uh, pretty accurate to a certain extent that he was one of the key players back in the day, along with John Lear was another one that helped promote the Dulce base mythos. Uh, so my original plan, you know, when I met Tal was like a 10,000 word essay called my breakfast with Tal and uh, kind of expanded though. Cause I started looking into the Dulce base mythos uh to really find out what was fact what was fiction you know and uh so that that kind of spurred me to really getting deep into the weeds about you know dulce and over time you know it became pretty evident that uh dulce basically came out of the benowitz affair and once you start digging into that, that leads to all kinds of other threads and connects back to the whole uh, uh, Roswell incident and the MJ-12 papers. They were all connected to the uh, Benowitz affair. And a lot of these stories all seem to be wrapped up into each other along with uh, Area 51, etc. They all use some of the same playbooks. A lot of the same players are involved in promoting these stories over the years. Yeah. So, and oh yeah, no, go ahead. No, that that was it. Okay. Uh so so I'm curious because like uh, a lot of this stuff 
if we if we go back even before um the Benowitz stuff really starts to become prominent in the in the disinfo um it kind of really starts with with Roswell and in and and not just Roswell but with Leonard Stringfield Leonard Stringfield got into like he devoted most of the rest of his career in <laughs> ufology to um these like crash retrieval status update reports and stuff like there's right. I think six volumes of them or something like that um so I'm curious do you think all of this came from like the same kind of disinformation kind of like plan or do you think like this the entire thing was like contained to like smaller groups because it seemed in in many ways like Doty with the with the Benowitz stuff it almost seemed like he was acting on his own in many ways or at least that's just kind of how it felt but do you think this Mm -hmm. was part of a larger disinformation program by (laughs) something else you know well I don't I don't know you know the uh, original crash retrieval stories uh, originated like in 1950 with mm-hmm. the aztec uh, the frank scully book right i'm sure you're aware of all that i think that was yep. the first uh, story there might have been some earlier and uh, you know uh, roswell later i think was modeled after that but in between that yeah we had uh, leonard stringfield in the 70s who claimed that he had sources information on all these other crash retrievals you know there was uh, quite a few other ones i can't reel them all off off the top of my head but that was is what he was claiming in the uh late 70s and he kind of came to the attention to uh, some uh, observers because he was claiming he had classified or, or was leaking classified documents and uh, came up on the radar <clears throat> actually jack brewer wrote about it on his blog about uh yeah it was one of those late 70 78 move on around then when uh an nsa uh asset who i'm trying to remember who it was was somebody within the MUFON scene was reporting on Stringfield that he was making these claims of government the involvement and cover-up of these uh, crash retrievals. Now, was this, you know, part of the early disinformation campaign? I, I really don't know, but Bill Moore seemed to have picked up on that growing interest in the so-called crash retrievals and might have been one of the motivations that uh, led him to look into it uh, more and uh, eventually come across information him and Stan Friedman on the so-called Roswell uh, crash and which led to his book The Incident at Roswell which really launched the whole mythos into the stratosphere and which is an interesting book because like Roswell doesn't necessarily play the biggest part in the book like it's it's you know a lot of it has to do with the research into it, but there's like a lot of other filler information in that book, mm-hmm. which is, which is always, it's always interesting to me. Like that became like the thing. And then, um, you know, I, I think like unsolved mysteries did a lot to promote Roswell in like the public sphere and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. uh, the, the crash angle has always been interesting to me because like 
it just seemed like those UFOs were just like crashing everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what seems so absurd about it. It's like you had the technology to come all the way to <laughs> multiple light years or whatever to come to Earth and you end up crashing again and again and again. Right. <laughs> and you know, some of the common themes, I mean, in uh, the early Scully Aztec story, you know, there's a lot of similarities <laughs> to yeah. the Roswell story. There was like, as I recall, hieroglyphics of some sort on the craft, and they were little midget type guys. And uh, so, you know, there was a lot of uh, similarities there. So it became, you know, <laughs> this meme trope that was uh, entered into ufology and uh it's still with us you know i'm sure you're aware of uh, mr grush and his claims at uh mm -hmm. the congressional hearing of hearings a few days ago yeah and, yeah <laughs> and it you know it, if you trace this uh, back um just a few years to uh, the whole TTSA thing, that was kind of at the core of some of the information they were putting out through different channels. Tom DeLong claimed that he had information from whoever this was, Major McCasland or something to that mm -hmm. effect, who was at Wright-Patterson, that they had information on the Roswell crash and they had you know, so-called remains. And, you know, that's one of the other tropes that uh, is, as, is as constant as the crash retrieval is that, you know, whatever you want to call it, the memory metals, metamaterials, this debris from these crafts is in the possession of the government and they're suppressing us, suppressing it from us. Mm -hmm. It's covered up. It, it's an epidemic that, uh, mm -hmm. you know, people are, are still fighting against and and i i find the aztec incident kind of the strange enduring power that that story has because <laughs> you know scott ramsey and suzanne ramsey have been all over that uh wrote a book about it and then it showed up in uh some like mj12 documents in 2017 it's so it's... so are the ramseys tell me who they are in a nutshell i think i know who they are but um... they're they're actually true believers right yes they... yes they okay. are yeah absolutely and they they kind of took frank scully's research and ran with it and you know i think they've right. talked to a few people and uh, included it in their book but it's just I, I don't know what it is about that case that <laughs> just like has that weird enduring mystery to it. Um, so so it's interesting. I wasn't really familiar with the Ramses here until mm -hmm. uh, probably about a year ago or so. I was out in uh, New Mexico, mm -hmm. Far Farmington to be specific. And uh, one of the places they claim somebody claims the Ros the aztec crash uh occurred was near farmington and a friend and i went out to a uh, site that there was supposedly there's a marker there showing the spot and i wasn't aware of that i was asking my friend well <laughs> who where did you get this information from he said oh, i just got it online i found there's a marker for the Azrael or the uh, aztec crash and we went out to find it and we couldn't find it. We eventually found the spot, but somebody had removed the uh, monument. Mm 
And as I dug into it more, I found out that this uh, Ram, the Ramses had put that monument out there, you know, <laughs> Base, basically, I guess, to promote their book, but it's not out there anymore. It's it's kind of incredible the people that want to put monuments up to their UFO encounters. Um, uh, there's uh, that one Massachusetts encounter from the '60s that. Oh, what the heck was is that one? It was featured. It was featured on the new Unsolved Mysteries. Um, but like, I remember there being a controversy because where this event happened, they put a monument out there, and I guess the town was not did not approve it. So, like, mm -hmm. uh, if I recall, it was the History Channel that paid to have it put out there, and uh, yeah, they had to have it removed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that happened in this uh, situation. Mm -hmm. It's in a pretty remote, I mean, right. relatively remote area, I think, near public land or, you know, may, maybe the uh, feds uh, was on federal land and they removed it. But uh, anyway, yeah, that was kind of interesting. Yeah. And it's just like, I don't know. I don't know. Something about that case. But um Oh, and just to touch on it a bit more, you know, mm -hmm. when you really look into the Aztec case, it was all basically perpetuated by a couple of grifters, you know. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah. there's been multiple books that, uh, or different books that come out on Aztec, and I haven't really read any of them, but claimed they, you know, it was more than just a grift. There was actually something to it, but, uh, you know, how that goes. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, th they're always definitely, there are those like, I don't know, there's just those kind of weird stories out there that just like somehow endure. And mm -hmm. um, when it comes to, uh, you know, in particular, like the, the Dulce base story, why has that story endured so much? And, you know, even after, uh, you know, Bill Moore in the, you know, 89 MUFON conference comes out, says, you know, all of this stuff is crap. Why is it this been one thing that has endured so long? Because I've had <laughs> friends, I have had friends who are literally say, I won't say Dulcie, man, they'll come and get me. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, how many people at the time, you know, that uh, Bill Moore's admissions or whatever you want to call them. It's pretty a s small group of people at the MUFON conference, you know, and the word got out over the years and it kind of grew and grew about uh, that conference, how it was legendary in a sense that, you know, basically kind of revealed what was going on with the uh, Benowitz affair, but the general public weren't really aware of <laughs> what was going on in ufology and other uh Things like, you know, I mentioned in the book, uh, uh, what you call it, uh, the X-Files, you know, was something mm. that re really put a, pushed it out into the public sphere. Some of these uh, tropes and memes about Dulce, the underground uh, bases and, you know, the different experimentation that was going on there. Eventually that got really pushed into the popular consciousness of uh, culture. And that was really linked initially to the uh, 
Dulce bass stories that were coming out in the late 80s. Yeah, That and it's all 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 that imagery that got ingrained to the imagination of you know uh, generations growing up in the nineties, mm late -hmm. eighties and nineties. Once again, through X Files and other uh, science fiction that was being you know promoted and released during that period, yeah, based on based on true stories, oh yeah. supposedly. <laughs> supposedly like based on true stories that uh people have definitely added on to which uh you know your your book does a great job of, of highlighting that and um there there was a video that i saw this morning and uh it was showtime is trying to capitalize on the uap hearings so they showed this video um on tiktok of richard Doty talking about the uh alien body that you know he says the government recovered and he said well they called it eba and i'm like Mm no -hmm. you're it's amazing when you go back and you look at the x-files how much of the Doty stuff actually made it in there because like there is an episode titled eve you know based on the term that he introduced into you know the, the ufo community it, it, it's very wild to me that this man has had such an enduring legacy and and i'
87-ish, 88. Recall, you know, that 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 uh, footage of Falcon and UFO cover-up live, as far as I can tell, was filmed in the uh, mid-80s. And, of course, that was Doty. But that wasn't released until after he retired, which is kind of curious. But there was another filmed interview of Doty by... trying to remember the actual uh, name it was uh, produced by bill moore and some others and they had a uh, god i don't have the information here hand me but they're a bit before me but it was basically released as a time as a whistleblower tape where Doty was talking about his experiences at uh, kirtland air force base and of course you know there's there wasn't really none of the falcon revelations there was the one uh revelation he was involved with with these ships that were seen at coyote canyon that appeared to be the the same craft uh paul benowitz was uh witnessing but also in that uh, this whistleblower film put out during that uh period through bill moore and some other uh folks he claimed they asked him about uh, linda howe and the claim she was making that he had shared this, uh, you know, information about uh, an alien in captivity and a lot of the information that came out of the Aquarius paper and the MJ-12 papers. And in this uh, so-called whistleblower video, Doty claims uh, that, no, he didn't share any of that with her. It was uh, Linda Howe that came to him with that information, which was kind of interesting because he contradicts that, of course, nowadays in later interviews that uh, they were basically uh, disinforming uh, Howe with their famous meeting like in the mid-80s with her. And so anyway there's been this long game that Doty's been involved with constantly changing his story or moving the goalposts or you know uh, and you know what makes him interesting I guess to some observers is that you can glean uh, little pieces of factual information that's mixed up with all of the uh, BS and misinformation and disinformation and so, you know, that's one of the reasons that I guess some researchers are still uh, pursuing him and uh, interested in what he has to say, hoping they can pull out some little tidbit uh, that will help them, whatever, push the disclosure along or expose what's going on. Yeah, and like, he is... I, I don't get it because like uh, for at least for him it it's like why because he's had he's come up you know he's come back a couple different times like he came back with you know the project Serpo stuff mm-hmm. and uh and about I want to say like 2018 he just started doing interviews like I I know he's started appearing mm-hmm. on you know Fade to Black and stuff like that and I'm always curious as to whether like. Is this just a guy who wants to influence this community or is there somebody behind him that wants him to influence this community? And it's like, well, who who's who's really behind it and why 
and why does it does he keep popping up you know is it a genuine love of this stuff or does the man just love messing with people (laughs) (laughs) i think it's probably the latter you know yeah yeah is he still involved in the government uh disinformation campaign how much was he involved back in the uh, benowitz mm-hmm. day you know certainly at the time the benowitz affair was going on the government wanted to find out what he knew specifically air force intelligence and the nsa wanted to figure out what he uh knew and they were happy if he got confused thinking it was uh aliens that he was uh observing how much farther did Doty push that I think uh you know as the question appears that Doty took it a bit further with a lot of the fake documents that started circulating that were being at you know, Doty was putting out there and Bill Moore was involved with I don't know if that was necessarily part of the government campaign like the MJ12 papers that might have been more uh, some extracurricular activities that uh, Doty was involved with, and that's but, another. Yeah, that's my other. that's my that's my suspicion. You know, I don't know for yeah. sure. And I think the other aspect to all of this is is Bill Moore himself and how much he actually like played a role in creating the information. Because it mm-hmm. always seems like he's been portrayed as the guy who is just disseminating the information. Right. But <laughs> to me, it seems like he's had more of a hand in that, in, in creating the actual information that was disseminated out. Do you do you find yourself thinking the same way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you look at the timeline, I mean, it's it takes a bit of effort to get all the different documents they were uh, putting out back in the day because there was a whole bunch of different documents that some people say should be looked at separately but i think you need to look at all of them because they all appeared to be uh hoax documents uh, and they're all about different uh secret projects and if you start putting these all together in like a uh, timeline you can see that Early on, there was this document called the Aquarius document that uh, Benowitz was shown. And the story was that uh, Moore had seen the original teletype of this Aquarius uh, document. Then he saw a second one that Doty uh, showed him that had been supposedly altered and mentioned uh, information about ETs and Doty, according to... uh, how Moore told the story. Doty uh, asked uh, Moore to share that with Benowitz, basically to disinform him, hoping Benowitz would take that document and say, "Here's government information of you know, ET uh, cover up of ETs, and that they're here, and there's you know, this invasion going on, et cetera, et cetera." In that uh, early Aquarius document, and we're talking this is like 81 or 82 and you, you can find this online i've endeavored sometime maybe thinking of putting all these together 
online and showing them, but it gets pretty damn confusing anytime you <laughs> for yeah. me to try to do that. But anyway, in that early Aquarius document, there's a mention of Majestic 12, you know. So this was a couple of years before the uh, MJ-12 uh, documents came out, which was kind of uh, curious. And around that time, we're getting into, remember the uh, MJ-12 documents came out more like in 83. And uh, prior to that, uh, uh you know, they, they were, you know, that was the first time that Moore and Shandrea, Jamie Shandray saw those documents. Supposedly the first time they would have heard about, uh, been aware of this uh, group called uh, MJ-12. But, you know, that name was showing up in some of these earlier documents in around uh, 83, oddly enough, uh, Moore was working with... Uh, Bob Pratt, I don't know if you're familiar with that name. Yep. He was the UF on the UFO desk at the National Enquirer, and he was looking in a lot of the same areas that uh, Moore was looking into at that time. And they joined forces to write a uh, book based on the experiences of Richard Doty. Yep. And, and uh, different titles for that book was uh, Majestic. I think they went uh originally with the uh called the book the aquarius project you know mm -hmm. so prior to the mj12 papers being this released all this was going on and what the mj12 papers confirmed basically among other things was the roswell story which you know bill moore had a book published uh you know in 19 80 so there's a lot of uh curiosities there with the timelines what was going on with uh bill moore and Doty's interactions and the release of all these different uh documents you know moore's uh, explanation was that he was just working as an intermediary he that the uh, Doty or the government or whoever would uh feed these documents some which were maybe maybe not classified it wasn't clear and in turn more would pass some of these documents along and uh, let him know what was going on with other uh, researchers in the field yeah um and and even um when uh brad sparks and barry greenwood came out with their analysis um of these in 2007 at the MUFON symposium. Um, they called them, I think the secret Pratt tapes or something like that, mm -hmm. but um, right. basically the same thing, you know, just that, you know, they've been crafting this narrative for a little bit longer, which is, <laughs> which is interesting when you think about it, because they're given these documents, you know, it's like that kind of secret spy crap that you hear about where, you know, something's mysteriously dropped off at your doorstep and it's, you know, a roll of film, you get them developed and you, you have like these documents purporting, you know, like uh, this uh, Eisenhower crap, you know, and, mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting to me that, you know, we have we have the Pratt tape stuff. We have Bill Moore and Jamie kind of just like 
they're taking their time trying to authenticate the stuff and Dodie seems upset enough that he's willing to go to somebody else. So, you know, he goes to Jenny Randall's and Jenny Randall's doesn't want anything to do with it because she's been duped while investigating, mm-hmm. I think, like the Rundlesham case or something like that. And then ultimately they land in Timothy Good's lap and he publishes them. But I, if I recall, um, Moore published them right before he did because, you know, they kind of want he wants the credit for it um <laughs> right that that you, was that was the story but i'm yeah. not really clear on any of that either some of those documents that had been already leaked to other researchers you know so mm-hmm. it seemed like uh whoever dody Moore, whoever wanted wanted to get that information out earlier but people weren't uh, biting because you know, for all they knew, it was classified information. Mm-hmm. Um, such, there's a story of Lee Graham that he, he was one of the uh, researchers. And it's not clear what documents uh, different researchers were getting because there was a whole batch of them on these different secret uh, programs. You know, they mentioned Project Aquarius and a lot of those documents were bogus, but or all of them were that uh, Doty or whoever actually <laughs> was behind these uh, documents, but there was a real Aquarius program going on at the same time. So you can see where the this dis- disinformation angle was going on to put this false Aquarius information out there to maybe see if anybody had learned about the real Aquarius program. That's where it gets confusing as hell. But I wanted to mention about the, uh, what was interesting about those uh, Pratt tapes. And I was saying how, um, oh, basically, uh, Dodie will put out little tidbits of information sometimes that are important to the piecing this greater story together. And, I think it was uh, after he made his last comeback, which which seemed to come after the New York Times story, you know, mm-hmm. around 2017, 2018, around there, he started showing up on Jimmy Church, <clears throat> uh, for instance, and I heard heard the interview, at least some of it, and he had mentioned in that interview, uh, he said, what originally attracted us to Bill Moore didn't have anything to do with the ufos but contacts he was having with uh russians at the time which was pretty intriguing and uh if you look at kind of bill moore's uh, history he uh, he did have an interest he had a some type of degree in russian history it's uh pretty much early on before he even got involved in uh, UFO research and was in contact with these different, a couple different Russian researchers or uh, journalists, you know? Mm. And so that might've been key to what was going on with uh, Bill Moore didn't have as, as much to do with uh, UFOs as it did with Russian contacts and with Russian nationals who were uh, becoming involved with uh, MUFON and other groups, you know. 
he kind of felt like um in, in the way that I've read about him and in, in other books is like he kind of felt like a superstar in the 80s like he was this um guy that had a lot of renown in the UFO community for the work that he was doing and then oh certainly um, he was yeah 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 and then like you know um 89 rolls around and like uh, I'm curious like you know I've always been curious what led him to turn and say uh, you know I I uh you know I've been involved in this <laughs> in, in disseminating disinformation and I basically helped to ruin one man's life and uh, you know and and I and I think what uh, one thing that I didn't know um until I, I I read your book is that he actually continued some of his work even after he was um kind of uh you know tried to basically exited the ufo community he's still well that's what he's that's what he said for a while that he was still yeah. quietly working behind the scenes with jimmy jamie uh Chandere into the late 80s and uh early 90s <laughs> and uh he even went on uh um Oh, what, what's God? I'm forgetting the uh, guy's uh, name who uh, was one of the editors at uh, UFO magazine. Too many names in my head. Uh, uh, <laughs> Don, Don, Don Ecker. Yeah. Went on Don Ecker's show in like 92 or so, which was a big deal. Bill Moore's back. Nobody'd really heard from him. During that uh, time period, I think he'd done an interview with my buddy Greg Bishop for the excluded mm. middle, but uh, here he shows up and he was saying, soon I'll have a lot more to uh, tell you. One of them thing he was going about in that interview in 92, he was, they got into talking about the uh, Benowitz affair and how uh, J. Allen Hynek was much more involved with that than it's been previously known and that he has documentations, an actual contract that uh, Hynek had signed with the uh, government that more sounded, uh, made sound kind of uh, sinister and I guess had to do with the story that uh, Hynek allegedly was the middleman of handing off this uh, computer they used to disinform and spy on Benowitz, basically make Benowitz, according to the story, think that he was able to communicate with the aliens during mm -hmm. this, uh, during that uh, period. And uh, so he more made a pretty big stir on that episode of uh, Don Eckers. I think it was called UFO uh, UFOs tonight mm -hmm. radio radio show and the uh, Ecker asked him well can you show me that actual documentation of that uh, contract and uh, he said well I don't have it with me but I'll, you'll be seeing this information soon and I will certainly uh, share a copy with you uh, and then that was it uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was he basically uh, disappeared again one of the things he talked about on that show was the uh, conference that happened uh in uh, colorado 
Crestone Conference. He didn't have the name quite right, but what he was talking about was that uh, Crestone Conference where he claimed a lot of this, uh, the whole Benowitz story got kind of uh, hammered out or how it was going to be presented by the public by John Lear and some other folks. And that's another thing I started looking into and found out indeed that that, uh, did happen uh, during that period. And John Lear basically usurped Bill Moore for the mantle of, you know, uh, a big star in UFO. And that was part of the gripe in his MUFON speech that, uh, John Lear had taken a lot of this Benowitz information and uh, spun it to a new and crazier level, like there was this invasion of Earth and that there was these underground bases where they were abducting humans and doing experiments on them and cattle mutilations were involved in this craziness. So, you know, according to Moore, that was part of his motivation for that uh, his MUFON uh, speech was to expose that uh, John Lear was putting out uh, disinformation and crazy stories. And he also name-checked Linda Moulton Howe that she had been sucked into that web of dis- disinformation. He doesn't name Howe by name in his speech, but it's obvious who he's talking about when it, you know, top cattle mutilation researcher. Yep. Uh, and uh, a lot of people knew going into that MUFON speech that something was up with uh, Bill Moore uh, and that uh, they'd gotten wind of it. I know Linda Moulton Howe had, according to uh, Chris Lambright, told me he, he was there at the speech and he was waiting outside the door with uh Linda Howe when uh, Moore was walking in, uh, Howe got into his face and, you know, said something. Well, I hear you're calling me uh, crazy or an idiot. He said, no. What I'm I'm saying is you are a a useful idiot. Then he walked right (laughs) in and uh, gave his speech. And so, I mean, what he was saying there was that she, uh, Howe was one of the key people that were uh, disinformed about uh, the Benowitz story and Cash Landrum, et cetera. And she was still promoting those stories at the time, continues to this day. You know, that's, that's another odd thing about Dodie that she, he obviously fed her disinformation and he is acknowledged as much, but she still believes what he presented to her about, you know, once again, the MJ-12 papers uh, type information, secret, you know, uh, secret government projects, alien in captivities, et cetera, et cetera, that, you know, all of that information was true. And she still promotes it (laughs) that way to this day. Yeah, she's talking about Bigfoot ripping cats in half and stuff like that. And like <laughs> I hadn't heard hadn't heard about that. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's a whole thing about uh it's called the half cat phenomenon. It's um it's interesting. <laughs> but um so, so Bigfoot's going around and ripping calves, cats in half? That's her theory. 
that's not that's not good i'm a big cat fan so i i am too um we actually did an episode about it my my friend spencer um tried to dive into like where this theory comes from and yeah it was a it was a crazy episode but (laughs) it it is one thing they actually went to i think it was like a mile high mysteries conference that she was there with uh david politis uh who oh god it's not a person i'm a fan of but um (laughs) uh she was basically talking she basically said bigfoot's are ripping cats in half and you know promoted this theory and 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 the thing is is like i when you look at linda bolton how is this just a woman in denial that she was fucked with by somebody like i i probably think so you know yeah from seeing uh interviews with her she gets really defensive anytime anybody questioners questions her on uh you know a lot of <laughs> specific things yeah yeah and i mean um she, i mean she... o- way way overly defensive it seems like she's it's getting worse as uh time goes by you know mm-hmm. and i mean like she was definitely doing some like uh when she made the the, the film in alien harvest she I mean, she was, uh, she kind of exploited Judy Doherty to an extent, promising her a bunch of stuff and like using her footage for the film. And then, like, just like, eh, there's nothing I can do to help you. Um, and, um, but that's, that's always the vibe that I got, especially after watching Mirage Men, like when she was confronted with the disinformation is like, no, nah, I don't, you know, like complete and total denial of, of all the stuff that she has been through. Um, yeah, let me mention this. She, mm-hmm. uh, when they had the 79 cattle mutilation conference where a lot of this information started breaking through, you know, Gabe Valdez mm-hmm. and others were at that uh, conference. She she wasn't there. My friend David Perkins was, and he was like yep. one of the lead dudes. He was the uh, keynote speaker for that uh, thing. Him and Tom Adams were like, really some of the key uh, cattle mutilation researchers that time and he'd he'd done uh, a lot of on the grounds field research there in New Mexico Colorado etc and it was after that conference that uh, Linda Howe got interested in the topic and contacted uh, him and he Basically met with her several times, took all her files. It was like, yeah, whatever, whatever you want, I can help. And actually took her out to meet all his uh, contacts. And those are a lot of the people you see in the uh, film. In the original film, uh, you'll actually see Perkins uh, in a couple of segments. And uh, but uh, nowadays, if you look at the uh, uh, you know, uh, footage of uh, um, Strange Harvest. David Perkins isn't in it. That's <laughs> all that yeah. material's been removed. Yeah, which is interesting. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, and and like David in his own right, he's a he's a legend in that field. He's he's been doing it for what almost fifty years at this point. So yeah, like yeah, which is incredible i mean you know even listening to you know a couple of interviews that he's done in the last few years and like he still keeps up with it you know whenever there's like oh he does yeah he does totally yeah yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. Oh, he, he, he was a great help to me with my book and he wrote, wrote mm -hmm. the uh, foreword. And I had, uh, when I was, I thought I was like to a point where I was wrapping up the book and then uh, I caught wind of Perkins' involvement and I contacted him and was like, well, we really got into some in-depth conversations and I uh, shared the manuscript and at that point he kind of dove in and was like fact checking me and say you know you got to check out this or that and so his input um, ultimately uh, ended up uh, the book being a lot better and maybe taking another year to finish up because he added so much uh, information he just decided to jump in and <laughs> totally uh give his uh, support a hundred percent. And that's how he is with uh, any researchers really mm -hmm. that he's, he's constantly helping out uh, folks like that. Yeah. Just he because is. he has this genuine interest and curiosity about the subject. And he's still trying to figure out uh, them damn, damn uh, cattle mutes. What's going on with them. And he has like, you know, he ascribes to one of the more interesting theories behind it, which is, you know, the Gaia theory, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, if you listen to him expound upon it, it is it is a, a fascinating to think of, because like as opposed to the, the you know, the, the UFO crash phenomenon, which just like the the Southwest is just littered with UFOs at this point. There's like so many of them that uh, people are bringing up uh, as opposed to the cattle mutilation phenomenon where there is like if there is human intervention there is like zero error at this point because nobody's really ever been caught doing it um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so like uh, yeah his theories are uh, on that are are very fascinating um and uh yeah it's it's just um he he, he generally genuinely seems like one of the kindest people in this field doing this stuff today so um yeah 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 i can't say enough nice things about him um I concur. He's so, a good dude. Yeah, he really is. Um, so your 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 book had me thinking about one particular aspect, and and it's the Myrna Hansen aspect of all of this, because she's one of the key players that kind of steers Paul Benowitz in the direction um, that he goes in. You know, the the stuff that's been happening around Kirtland. Um, I I believe by the time that he met her, but. I've always been curious, was Myrna Hansen part of the Air Force off Office of Special Investigation, or was she just like this poor woman who went through something? And I'm I'm curious to get your thoughts on that because like you you mm -hmm. definitely presented as if she could have been part of the disinformation herself. Well, she might have been. That's what uh Greg uh, Valdez uh, suspects mm. when I was uh, talking to him when I was researching the uh, book I mean she uh, if you look at the timeline so Benowitz in late uh, 79 it's kind of around Christmas where he uh, initially what he were, was seeing with basically just lights and things over the Kirtland Air Force Base in that Monsanto weapons storage area, which is an underground facility, you know, that's mm. part of the story. 
I think a lot of this mythos about underground bases comes from, but uh, initially he was filming and uh, taking, you know, photographs of all these lights around uh, there. And then he started capture, capturing uh, signals and uh, whatnot. And that's when he came to the attention of AFOSI because he, went to them saying, you know, I'm filming this weird stuff and capturing these signals, finding out what's going on. And I wanted to make you uh, guys aware because this could be a national security uh, problem. So that was in late uh, 79, early 80. And that's when Doty first kind of popped up. Well, let's not go there yet, but... Uh, <laughs> In, a, in May is when the Myrna Hansen, May of 1980, is when uh, she showed up. So they might have very well at that point trying to been trying to direct his attention away from uh, Kirtland Base towards uh, someplace else. And uh, as others have theorized, that someplace else was uh, Dulce, New Mexico, and the so-called uh, Dulce Base. <clears throat> and so uh, Myrna Hansen comes into the story, and it was through uh, Gabe Valdez that uh, Benowitz was introduced uh, to uh, uh, Myrna Hansen. And, you know, that would bring into question, well, was <laughs> Gabe Valdez part of this? If right. Myrna Hansen was, uh, I don't know, I, I doubt that, but... Uh, Anyway, her experience was uh, basically on uh, early May of 1980. She and her son were in uh, Cimarron, New Mexico, or uh, Eagle Nest. One of the was, she was from Eagle Nest, but it was around Cimarron. She was driving and saw this uh, UFO that sucked the cattle up into it. And uh, she was herself and her son were abducted and uh, she was transported to Benowitz because uh, the cops there in Cimarron first contacted Gabe Valdez. They didn't know how to deal with this hysterical lady making these claims. And uh, Gabe Valdez got involved and took uh, Myrna Hansen to Paul Benowitz because Benowitz had contacts with uh, APRO, the UFO organization, and they were dealing uh, with uh, some of these uh, emerging abductees like Myrna Hansen, really, and the one before her was uh, Judy Doherty, who seemed to have mm -hmm. a similar uh, experience. <clears throat> and they were, uh, let's see, who's, uh, Leo Sprinkle was the guy doing the regressions for uh, yeah. these. So Leo Sprinkle got uh, brought into it, who had done the Judy Doherty uh, regression that showed up in an alien harvest and Gordy's similar story is quite similar to Myrna Hansen. It's like, you know, was Myrna Hansen basically modeled after uh, Judy Doherty? Uh, originally, Judy Doherty, I mean, it's presented she saw cattles being mutilated or whatever, but the original story yeah. was a cat. Cats come back into the story and somehow that maybe moved on and got uh, morphed and got... Uh, conflated with uh, 
you know, these the, the whole cattle mutilation uh, thing. But uh, so anyway, uh, Myrna Hansen ends up at uh, Paul Benowitz's house. And by this time, we've gone from late 79, where he was just starting to film these things and figuring them out to buy the time Myrna Hansen shows up in May, he's convinced that they, these are aliens that are behind all of this stuff and they're beaming his house and beaming uh, Myrna Hansen. They're trying to basically prevent him from finding out the true story. And they started doing these regressions. And he not only did he cover his uh, car in tinfoil to keep the... Uh, aliens uh, supposedly from interfering with the reset these regressions but he also had a device he had created this time could that could thwart the ets that could uh and he was on the cusp of creating some type of ray gun that would combat them all, all this was going on he had myrna hansen basically i'm not sure how long she was there but it was at least two or three weeks mm -hmm. and Benowitz's wife as well was being affected. Uh, according to Benowitz recordings, I've heard she was not, his wife was not to the ground. She was, she was experienced some of these same uh, effects that uh, Myrna Hansen was supposedly uh, experiencing. And I think even Myrna Hansen's mom was, there and their uh, son Sean and anyway through these regressions that were going on it Benowitz learned that uh, Myrna Hansen had been you know during her abductions and perhaps there was multiple by now she had been uh, transported to an underground base where the aliens had done experimentations on her and that cattle mutilations once again were involved in this and that she at one point had broken free of her alien captors and were wandering around this uh, alien base and saw the classic vats with some type of uh, human-alien hybrids in them. Um as far as Myrna Hansen, uh, you know, after that, she disappeared. I mean, she's never done interviews. Mm -hmm. uh, Bill Moore uh, said she moved to uh, California. I could never really find any information on her, and I don't, not sure anybody ever did. And I guess, you know, her perspective would be she didn't want to talk about all this uh, crazy stuff. But uh, Krista Tilton claims that uh, Myrna Hansen contacted her in 1988. And Tilton as well claimed the same experiences as Myrna Hansen did in her uh, book called... Uh, she put out this uh, booklet on Paul Benowitz. I'm forgetting the exact uh, title. It's called she... the Benowitz Papers or something like yep, that. Yep, there, there yeah. you got it. And she praises Richard Doty in this book, you know. <laughs> and so some people have seen Krista Tilton like in a similar role, maybe that she was uh, involved in this greater operation. So who was Smyrna Hansen? Did she really exist? Were they? using an alias for her right. uh i i i don't know she's a mysterious uh figure and uh 
apparently um, that's where the story gets just so muddled because uh, Benowitz went started working with um, let's see what was Heineck's organization uh, UFOs yeah new MUFOs, and uh, they also had contacts with the government, and they had taken Myrna Hansen because uh, Benowitz believed she had something implanted in, like, at the base of her neck or in her head. Yeah. Something had been implanted, so they went and did x-rays or something uh, there, some type of uh, scans. But it was to an underground uh, facility as well, where, uh, according to Doty or uh, other people involved in the stories, where uh, Air Force, there uh, were Air Force psychiatrists who put her under a uh, regression. So this all gets muddled up with the Dulce base story as well, you know, in the underground. Mm-hmm base uh, story there so it's not and of course we have you know uh benowit or uh, Doty feeding information into this so it all gets incredibly muddled and uh, confused and maybe you know that that's that's the whole intent it would be interesting to uh really prove one way or the other who Myrna Hansen was <laughs> yeah. was she was she an operative was that really her name, you know? Right, yeah. And I think uh, the interesting thing is here is that when it comes to Leo Sprinkle, Leo Sprinkle is the guy that somehow did regressive hypnosis on the three people that have claimed to have witnessed um, uh, themselves being abducted along with their cattle and you know Mm -hmm. Judy Doherty and Myrna Hansen are the two but the one person that doesn't get brought up um and because of like I don't know he kind of just became an obscure figure is Pat McGuire and I think like Pat McGuire kind of plays he doesn't Mm. play a direct role in the story but I think you know he he fits in that similar vein of around the time period when he came forward with the story um and that you know he he went through this regressive hypnosis with leo sprinkle and started talking about you know being abducted with cows and um that the aliens need the cows for something but he's always been kind of one of those like figures on the side that i that i think you know while he doesn't play a direct role he does have a so he, he fits into it somehow in, in some mm-hmm. way yeah I'm kind of familiar with that name. So he was interviewed around the same time as uh, Judy Doherty. Is that his story gained a little attention in 81. He appeared Mm -hmm. on, I think it was NBC's that's incredible or something like that. Went through hypnosis on television and, um, you know, received some notoriety and it kind of went South for him after that. Um, But um he had gone through regressive hypnosis with Leo Sprinkle, I think, in 79, somewhere around there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Part of the, uh, going back to A Strange Harvest, the footage of uh, David Perkins that you won't see anymore. He had, yeah. 
He's shown in the film talking about this map he had put together, and he had shown this at the cattle mutilation conference mm -hmm. as well, yeah. where he was overlapping cattle mutes with uh, areas where uh, there was nuclear testing going on or potential rate radiation or fallout, you know, from all this testing. So he, he had put this together and was try kind of correlating it, you know, was there this connection? Mm -hmm. And then, uh, and he had mentioned that to uh, Leo Sprinkle, he was doing this uh, research prior to, uh, uh, you know, Sprinkle starting to interview, uh, Judy Doherty, and later mm -hmm. from different uh, Judy Doherty interviews, one of them comes up. She starts talking about this, how nuclear radiation is connected with the uh, cattle mutes. Yes. And Perkins got suspicious. Well, maybe, uh, you know, Sprinkle was influencing her some way, maybe intentionally or unintentionally leading her somehow she got that into her head mm -hmm. and so it, you know it might have been the same similar with the cattle story itself because uh, once again according to perkins the original telling of her original telling of the story was that it was a cat that got mutilated right yeah mm -hmm. uh, and then the story changed over time i think the interesting thing about judy doherty and um i've had some help in um because I'm doing an episode on Pat McGuire um, soon. Oh, okay. Um, I was uh, given a bunch of stuff from Leo Sprinkle's um, papers that are being stored, I think, at the University of Wyoming or something like that. Mm. And uh, there is a letter from Judy Doherty to uh, Leo Sprinkle in which she talks about um, she gets these premonitions that... Um, that uh, AIDS is being transmitted through feces and water. It's mm. a it's a wild letter um, that I stumbled across in there, and it's like wow, yeah, like uh, I and I know that uh, I know Judy struggled for years because she finally kind of came out fully with her story in like uh, was it like the mid two thousands or something like that. She had a kind of an online press conference kind of thing where she put her story out there but uh yeah that was one of the weirdest tidbits about um her experiences if you want to say that yeah um, but yeah it was a weird letter so hey hey i had heard about those uh leo mm -hmm. sprinkle uh archives mm -hmm. and they're where at the university of wyoming i think so um i've got a friend in wyoming right now um what, what i'm curious about Mm -hmm. And uh seems like I looked into this a little bit. I'm not sure how far I got, but I was wondering if, in any of those uh, papers if there was uh, Myrna Hansen information. I didn't see any, but that doesn't mean that there wasn't anything there. And like uh, the way that they have his um, stuff broken down is kind of confusing uh, when you look at the uh, the. Uh, the boxes online and the way that they have yeah, it broken down. It's very I think confusing. I was looking I think I was looking at that and I didn't see anything right offhand, but mm -hmm. uh, you know, and there could be the possibility that that was an alias they were using Myrna yeah. Hansen. She might have another name. 
Right. So it's, yeah, something to keep in mind if you get access to that, some of that stuff. Yeah, no, I'll definitely keep that in mind. If I find anything, I will pass it your way. Um, uh, so speaking of people that, uh, you know, may or may not exist, Tom Costello, was he real or was he not? No, he's not real. <laughs> <laughs> and as I say in the book, I think it was a composite character that mm-hmm. was created based on Tal Levesque himself and Paul Benowitz. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty, it seemed pretty, there's a good chance of that. In my mind, when I put the timeline together of the legend of Tom Castello and, and put uh, you know, a timeline of what Tal said he was doing during similar years, you know, there was a kind of similar work history there. He's always called uh, shorthand in a lot of the information about uh, Thomas Edwin can Costello and Thomas uh, Alan uh, Levesque, they use the, the shorthand or the acronym. Costello is always T E C and uh, Tal is always T A L. You know, they mm-hmm. kind of uses that with the different people who are putting out these, the whole story. And these were basically. Uh, folks uh tal was uh feeding information to over the years but you know as far as specifically looking into uh if thomas castello ever actually existed uh gabe valdez looked into that pretty painstakingly and uh, he could find no evidence whatsoever that Mm. there was ever a dude named uh Thomas Edwin Castello, but in the lore and uh, throughout the community, you'll still have people to this day bringing up him as the great uh, whistleblower who was part of the uh, Dulce uh, War, who was uh, silenced and later disappeared. And it's, you know, it's the same story that, uh, what's his name, uh, picked up on. God, I'm having trouble with... uh, Names these days, the other Dulce no, base wh- whistleblower that got oh, Phil name. Schneider, Phil Schneider, yeah, basically modeled it on that uh, Castello story. Why, why do you think? Because, like, you know, the the way you do put it, uh, uh, map it out in your book, this a lot of this stuff goes back to Talavesque. Why? was he so dead set on creating this myth like what is it about underground bases in like the archuleta mesa or dulce or whatever that would make someone want to like create this giant myth that endures (laughs) I, i i'm always curious because like is he associated with the military is he not like what is his deal Part of his deal was he was, uh, well, interested in a lot of these topics going way back, but in, uh, he was a fan of Richard Shaver growing up mm. and really got, uh, became a believer, promoter of the Shaver's mysteries, you know, which uh, is a whole different <laughs> deal, but, that, you know, that there's... Uh, 
there's a whole underground world existing with these creatures called the uh, Deiras, these evil entities uh, that were, you know, originally space people that came to uh, Earth. And uh, so the Shaver Mysteries became a big, a big deal, you know, during the uh, 40s and 50s and the Amazing Stories Science Fiction magazine. And they were presented as fact. And, you know, Tal became a fan of those. And I actually became friends with uh, Richard Shaver. There's an audio interview of uh Tal and Richard Shaver in the from the 1970s I have so he was friends and a promoter and a believer of some these inner earth mysteries and he and his wife Mary Martin in the uh 70s put out a zine called the Hollow Earth Hassle and so he he was totally into all this and uh you know, what, why did he help create the myth? He seemed like he was pushing the myth into the technological age with the different elements he was uh, bringing into the uh, story, bringing Shaver, the Shaver Mysteries uh, kind of up to date and presenting it in a way that would kind of uh, capture the imagination of a new generation. You know, the X-Files uh, generation was he trying to make uh, money off this he was involved at different times with uh different uh television productions but i think in and kind of a behind the scenes player and promoting this smithos in different ways but uh i think he was more interested in just uh creating this uh, narrative and providing his own truth or his own alt alternate uh, truth that there was, you know, these mystery underground bases going on with uh, entities that lived under there that really in Tal's mind weren't necessarily extraterrestrial, but I thought think he saw that as a way to uh, promote his story by bringing in that uh, extraterrestrial element into it all. And uh, aside from that, uh, I guess Norio Hayakawa talked to uh, Tal's sister, and uh, she said uh, Tal had problems. Mm. Uh, psychological problems that kind of uh, stemmed around his belief in uh, the Shaver mysteries. And so there's a, that element playing in there as well that, you know, there's some psychological uh, problems that he was uh, dealing with. Yeah. Um, I could, I could totally understand that and totally could see that. And I don't, I don't know if I have a real answer to, yeah, to your question no. of why he, he helped create this alternate universe, but you know, a lot of people are into creating alternate uh, realities these days. And a lot of it is surprisingly centers around underground things. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. you've got the Shaver mysteries, you've got the inner earth stuff, the, you know, the Robert Bird stuff, and um, well, it's flowed into a QAnon thing. Yeah. Yes, it has, and that's the. I think that's the the 
the impetus for doing this this entire big series in the first place is how is because this stuff can get way out of hand and mm-hmm. we have seen uh you know especially with like theories about reptilians we are seeing people acting on that now we are seeing uh yep. you know the 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 guy that uh detonated that bomb on christmas morning in tennessee he believed in reptilians um there was w- like one woman a few years ago who murdered her husband over reptilian conspiracies and mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure there was somebody that proclaimed to believe in reptilians that was involved in january 6th so it's like oh yeah these things keep like coming back and like uh it, it it really is interesting to see how the shaver because I, I i firmly believe it was a lot of the shaver mystery has influenced you know not just the dulcy underground base stuff but it, it's influenced the the you know david ike's crap on reptilians and stuff uh because there is that kind of element to it of like well there know. are these demonic entities that can appear mm-hmm. human yeah so that seems <laughs> That's a way of demonizing a group of people. Yeah, and especially when you tie in the protocols of the Elders of Zion mm-hmm. into that, which has become this monster of a document that has been used by so many people to, you know, kill Jewish people, which is mm-hmm. fucked up. Yep. <laughs> Crazy fucked up. Um, It's... So, that's one thing I... I you know i'd like to get into is like how these theories present themselves today you know do you do you do you see like this disclosure community do you think they're capable of doing their own kind of january 6th if they don't get the information that they want because that's one thought i've had it's like <laughs> just give it and and I know it's a controversial one. I know we're we're going places now. We're getting into areas that are going to piss some people off, but given how extreme uh well, right wing they can get. There's um, there's there's a faction that they're, you know, talking about getting more militant now. Mm-hmm. It seemed like Jeremy Corbell was he the one who said that in the recent uh, comments we need to mm-hmm. this is like I don't remember his words exactly, but you know, yeah. we're gonna get in a civil war here if we don't goddamn mm-hmm. government don't start providing the truth about the aliens. And not only so, that, yeah, he I, was he was there at that hearing uh, mm-hmm. the other day. So like yeah. There there's always been kind of a I mean, you got a, a lot of different people uh, attracted to the UFO subject, but there's always been a kind of right wing element to some of the factions and groups. Uh, involved it's not really always uh, quite evident or they don't make it evident but you know there's definitely that undercurrent early on with uh, you know when the QAnon stuff started breaking through I was paying a lot of attention to it Mm. and there were forays early on with QAnon and some of the uh, stuff that was coming out by the different QAnon influencers to kind of put the UFO topic into all the other stuff that were in the uh, Q 
QAnon basket. It wasn't didn't seem like it was always successful, but it's always been there. And some of the uh, influencers also uh, overlapped into ufology, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it's like a tool in a uh, toolbox, I think, that can be uh, used once again just to sow uh, dissension and discord. Not to say, you know, the uh, government doesn't hide this shit <laughs> from right. us, but, uh, you know, are they really hiding uh, uh, aliens and uh, crashed UFOs. I don't know about that, but that's that's at the heart of what is getting a lot of these people riled up in ufology these days. Mm-hmm. And that's a key part of it that, that, once again, I mentioned earlier that Grush brought out that he has heard from somebody. I think we can cut, guess who some of those somebodies are that uh, you know, he has knowledge of these crash retrievals that are being hidden from us. And if the government would only release them, we, you know, according to others, we'd have uh, free energy and everything would be rosy in the world. But no, the man is uh, keeping us down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a tale as old as time, <laughs> you know, like uh, people have been waiting on this disclosure for how long now for decades at this point and it seems like uh every year i, I uh, do see um, i do see people on the uh, ufo fringe getting more militant yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah where that will lead but when you start getting people stoked up at that yeah we saw what happened with uh january 6th you being lied to this it's election was stolen from you it's like yeah you're being lied to by the uh about the aliens yeah and i i think one element to that that did come from you know this 1980s ufo disinformation age was bill cooper and bill cooper he uh he went down a blaze of i wouldn't call it glory (laughs) it was a blaze of stupidity but um it uh he was kind of one of those factors and he kind of represents how, how that can get out of control and how that can lead to a more militant way of thinking and mm-hmm. has influenced. And I think the strangest influence the man had though, was on the Wu-Tang clown. I didn't really see that happen, you know? <laughs> but it did. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, what were your, and I'm I'm curious to hear what your reactions were when you, when you first heard about David Grush's admissions uh, about all this stuff in the debrief, because it it just seemed, you know, like they were rushing to get this kind of stuff out. They weren't necessarily doing the best process vetting. I know they vetted a, like a couple of people that were, you know, said he was on the up and up and, and stuff like that. But I was curious uh, what your thoughts were on those admissions when they came out in early June. Well, at the debrief uh, I've seen as a conduit for basically for a while now this type of stuff that seems to be coming from the same faction of folks, Elizondo, mm. whoever, you know, mm. they talk about their unidentified sources, but 
the more you look into it, it's pretty clear uh, type of access journalism mm-hmm. that's going on there. Yeah. And so I saw, you know, the Grush story is tied in with the same group of uh, people, Keen and uh, whoever tried to sell, you know, sell this latest version to uh, New York Times or Washington Post, et cetera, who weren't biting. Mm-hmm. Once bitten, twice shy. I think, you know, the New York Times got <laughs> duped the first time. So, I mean, when it's the same group of people promoting the same narratives, uh, I'm highly dubious. And you, you had a similar situation with this whistleblower complaint or IG complaint when you dug mm-hmm. into what was behind uh, Elizondo's IG complaint, you see more like of a disgruntled uh, employees under investigation for something. He admitted yeah. as much in his complaint. So what's going on with uh, Grush, you know? I'm uh, dubious. We need a lot more information to f- find out. And uh, during the hearing, um, which seemed highly orchestrated, you know, uh, by the different people in Congress who br- brought the, these guys in. Anytime it got to real questions about, you know, well, where did you get this information? How can we learn? What What's the deal? Uh, where are these, whatever, where's, where are they at? Who, what, where, when? Mm-hmm. The, give us the aliens. It's like, well, we can discuss that in a, classified uh setting any any question you know that probed a little deeper he said he wasn't able to uh answer it there and i and that's exactly what you know i think the people in congress that were pushing this birchett lunat expected they knew what that answer was going to be because they as they admitted they already talked to him Mm -hmm. so this this was a lot of you know performance to push that narrative he's you know and once again he said he discussed this in a classified setting but you might have noticed and i just saw bits and pieces of the thing mm-hmm. birch birch was saying oh we didn't they won't allow us to use the skiff today you know so mm-hmm. i don't think i don't think that ever happened afterwards right. in a class and birch i mean he organized this thing so you know that's no damn excuse right <laughs> you set up the uh, skiff beforehand. You have all that uh, dialed in. So I, you know, and you got <laughs> Corbel and Nap there. Mm-hmm. Yep. There was a there was a nice picture of uh, everybody. Uh, I think uh, Jason Colavito tweeted it out. Yeah. And no, that's not James Clapper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man, um, and I—that's how you know people just uh, there. That was getting pushed. That was James Clapper, and if you saw the guy from a distance or whatever, didn't look too okay. That's James Clapper's ball head, and his ears kind of mm-hmm. stick out. And I go, what? And <laughs> uh, started looking for some actual foes. I'm like, oh, that ain't fucking James Clapper. But you know how these things start. <laughs> so a lot of people. 
believe yeah james clapper was there it's the real deal mm. oh yeah it's uh I, d I don't know what to make of it really i don't i don't believe believe this guy grush but you know i could be wrong I mean, we, we could always be wrong, but there's always something when someone says, hey, someone else showed me a document that said this. Mm -hmm. Someone else showed me this. And he's basically talking about the same stuff that has been parroted since the 1980s. Only this time you get an added like Nazi UFO crash retrieval, mm -hmm. you know, added into the mix. And now you see Leslie Kane just like backpedaling saying oh well mm -hmm. we didn't we didn't agree to that we didn't we would have included that and i'm like yeah you didn't include that but you still included a story uh, that in the main you know part of your article said mm -hmm. hey the u.s government has a crash retrieval program that's in there yeah yep so what do you expect the people to think that they aren't aliens or something and i think that's one of the biggest gripes that i have with this disclosure movement is I don't think those people care about national security or like <laughs> foreign weapons in their skies. Mm -hmm. Give me the damn aliens. That's what they yeah. want. So yeah. like that's, that's a, you know, that's a, and, yeah. and besides what Grush, you know, his little twist on the thing that he's saying he has, knowledge that has been told about the crash retrieval program mm -hmm. um nothing else was really new you had fravor who had the one experience and make you know what you will the tic tac video but it's just another uh video they kind of asked him well, well what what's the deal here why should we be concerned about this and his he said <laughs> something to the effect well if our uh, adversaries can get hold of this technology, they can turn it around and use it on us. And I was like, mm. okay, <laughs> yeah, whatever, whatever, dude. I mean, and then uh, who's the other guy? Graves. Uh, yeah. I mean, w once again, he had one experience, right? And these were back a number of years ago. And there's the videos that may or may not, whatever, prove one thing or another. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. I mean, it's it's all been done before, and I mean, it was done five years earlier with but this is being being presented as historic. This uh, hearing was historic. Yeah, it was historic. Even though we've had like encounter, people have had encounters like reported <laughs> encounters with aliens for years, but it's historic yeah. and. That's that's the strangest thing to me. And like um the the one thing that I think about when I think about the 2017 article is like it seemed to hit the reset button on the entire field. Like it mm -hmm. set it down to zero. Like there were UFOs that didn't exist before 2004. There were no yeah. other UFOs. And it's just like, hey, let's start from scratch. And, and mm -hmm. it, it almost seems like a fantasy version of like, hey, how do we do this if we didn't have this baggage behind us of all, of all the stuff that, uh, you know, doesn't make ufology look good? Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And I, we're still we're still dealing with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, 
Adam, thank you so much for joining me for this, like, this absolute foray into UFO disinformation. And like, uh, you know, it's, it's been uh, a joy. Uh, what do you, what do you got going on now? What do you, what, uh, what kind of projects do you have going on now? If you could tell us about uh, any of them and where can people <laughs> find you on the internet? <laughs> ah, I wish I could tell you about a couple projects I'm working on, but then I'd mm -hmm. have to kill you. So. Uh, okay. I mean, no, I, I, I am working on a, another book that is kind of ufo related but i don't mm. want to and uh yeah another secret surprise project uh, just recently uh put out a book that i basically edited of the lost writings of james shelby downard called stalking the great horror so that's the latest book and that's a whole nother <laughs> thing <laughs> the life and times of james shelby uh downard but to uh find out more about me if they're interested in the books go to amazon mm. all my books are there i have an at adamgorightly.com website i have a uh, ufo related website called chasing ufos so people can find out more i'm on uh twitter so those are some of the outlets Yes, and uh, you are definitely one of the. You're a great follow on Twitter, and I enjoy <laughs> your tweets. So definitely go follow Adam on Twitter. Buy his books. His books are fantastic. Um, I think it was Steve Berg that actually <laughs> put me onto your books to begin oh, with. Oh, so, cool! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, definitely, and and if you're interested in all this, like if you have any kind of passing interest in like these UAP hearings and stuff like that, go pick up Saucer Spooks and Kooks and read through it. And you will see that this stuff is not new. It's very old. It's very recycled. Yeah. Um, but uh, thank you again, man, for joining me. Uh, this has been fantastic. Great. Thanks, Rob.